Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. We're in a series titled Valleys, Hope for Life's Toughest Moments. And in the Bible, there are these valleys. They're literal places, but they're also meant to be used metaphorically. And there are four main valleys. So we're going through these four valleys. And there's so much we can learn as we look at these valleys. If you weren't with us last weekend, we looked at the Valley of Siddim, which is known as the Valley of Failure. And if you have ever had a failure in your life, that, that's a life-changing message. Today, we're going to listen and take a look at the Valley of Eshkol, not to be confused with Eskarol, which we make greens and beans with, right? But it's Eskol. It's incredible. It's an incredible valley. We'll talk about that valley today. But I want to open up with a story. This is a true story. It happened uh, between my eighth and gra- ninth grade year in high school. And uh, I had this incredible opportunity. We grew up on Valacamp, which uh, you know connects Ridge Road and North Road. And it's two streets south of 422. And when we grow up, grew up, Putt-Putt was just even with our house on 422, but I had to go through a half mile of woods to get there. That's how close it was. And I had this neighbor down the street, Mark. We were very good friends. His brother was the manager of Putt-Putt. So Mark said, uh, you know, Scott told us we can go play all summer long for free. And I had about four weeks before football began. I was so excited about it. But something else happened right around that same time, and it kind of messed things up for me. Uh, I was in the backyard with some other neighbors, and we're playing in the backyard, and we're in a residential neighborhood. This big bull comes out rushing out of the woods, and uh, we're talking, you know, a male cow. We're talking bigger than a cow. We're talking big horns who's snorting, and he comes out of the woods, and we're freaked out. We run into the house, and we're, we're in the kitchen looking out the window, and we see these two guys with lassos trying to catch this bull, and we're like blown away. It's like, we have bulls in our woods? I didn't know we had bulls in our woods. Well, right around the same time, another neighbor said to my father, and unfortunately I overheard it, he said, hey, I was looking out my back window, and he just lived one house over. He said, uh, a black bear walked out of the woods. He was about a a 300-pounder, and he said he just walked in my yard, and I didn't know anything about bears. I was shocked we had bears in our backyard. So I'm dealing with some some fear over bears and bulls, and we're not talking the stock market. That can cause some fear too, right? But I also had another problem. I was afraid of snakes. So it was like bears, bulls, and snakes. Oh, no. Felt like Dorothy and the Scarecrow. I was just afraid of our woods, and here I am coming out of eighth grade, going into ninth grade, and now my mom gives me permission, and I'm allowed to go to Putt-Putt. I just have to go a half mile through the woods. There's a path there, and I'll never forget the first day I, decided, I said, I'm going to go, Mom. She said, go ahead, and I get 100 yards into that woods, and I heard woods noises. I know what they were now, but you know, probably squirrels running on leaves and things like that, but I thought for sure it's a bear or a bull, and I took off and sprinted back home, made an excuse up, told my mom I don't feel like it, something like that. The next day, I thought, I'm going to go play putt-putt. It's free. I can play all day. And I got about 100 yards in, heard the same noises, ran out, scared as could be, back to my house again. So the third day, I thought, I'm going to sprint, but I'm sprinting towards putt-putt. It's not that much further. And and I heard the noises, and I took off sprinting, and I ran out to putt-putt. And I'll never forget coming out of the woods, and I see putt-putt. It was incredible. I played for hours. 
But then I had to go back home <laughs> through the woods. So I just sprinted back through the woods. And then that, that, that summer before football began, I just, I, I, I got into great shape sprinting through the woods because I was afraid of bulls and bears. And, and, and so I kind of overcame fear, right? Uh, and Eshkol is the valley of fear. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the valley of fear. I didn't overcome it exactly the way you should, but at least I went forward, right? At least I went through it. But we're going to talk about you and I overcoming it and you and I having victory over the different fears in our life. And there's all kinds of fears that are represented in this room. All of us deal with fear. Sometimes it's the unknown. Sometimes it's something that whooped us and knocked us down. Sometimes it can be anything. And God doesn't want you in this valley at all. He wants you out of this valley as quickly as possible. Some valleys like Siddim. It takes a little while to get out. We're going to look at a valley next weekend. It takes a little while to get out of some of them uh, in order to connect with God and come out. This valley, we can come out of really, really quick. So here's what I want you to walk out, remembering, understanding more clearly than ever. And it goes like this, fear freezes our future. Can you agree my future at Putt-Putt was on ice till I overcame fear? Fear freezes our future. And I want to ask you a question. What in your future is frozen because of this thing called fear. What have you put on ice because of fear? What is it that you have in your heart to do in the secular arena or you have in your heart to do in the spiritual arena that you aren't doing because of this thing called fear? And we literally want to break that fear up in your life and bring you to this incredible place that God's called you to be. So I want to show you this valley, the valley of Eshkol, and I want to set it up. It has to do with the children of Israel. The children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt. They were slaves for hundreds of years, over 400 years. God delivered them through a leader called Moses. They're now in a place called the wilderness. They're only there a couple months. And God said, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. He promised them this incredible land. And the reason he was able to give it to them was because the inhabitants, he said, their sin is so bad, it's like a stench that's come up into my nostrils. And God said this, he said, the land itself is going to puke them out. That God literally said that. He was going to use Israel as the enforcer. And he said, you go take that land. They no longer have a legal right because of the intensity of their sin. So they're out, of, they're out of Egypt just a couple months. Moses said, I'm going to send 12 spies in. Guys, go check it out. Tell us what we're facing. So he does. 10 come back with a bad report, two with a good report. But I want you to see what this valley is like. And here we go. It's Numbers 13, 23. Then they came to what is known as the Valley of Eshkol, where they cut down a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also took some samples of pomegranates, and figs. This is part of their future. I mean, this is an incredible land. The livestock's incredible. It's beautiful. Water everywhere. It's incredible. This is their future. Listen to verse 27. They come back, and this was their report. We arrived in the land you sent us to see, and it is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is some fruit we have brought as proof. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. And what's more, we saw Anakim giants there. I want to just stop for a minute. I mean, this is an incredible land. 
It's okay to say there's tough people in it. It's what they do next and how they respond. But in case you're new in God, th this is in the Bible. It's, it's, and to me, these kind of things are fascinating. Um, there were twice in our history as humans that angels left heaven, not a lot of them. They left heaven and they had relations with women and they produced giants. They were half angel, half human. Now, the first time they did it, Noah's flood killed them all, so they were all gone. They did it one more time. Then God chained those angels up, and they are waiting judgment. So it's never going to happen again. But the second time they did it was, was hundreds of years before this time. So what you had is you had DNA in people that, where they had some angel DNA, and they were still giants compared to regular human beings. So we're generations past that, but you still had some of that in them. It was still there. So listen to what happens in verse 29. The Amalekites live in the south, while in the hill country there are Hittites, Jeb Jebusites, and Amorites. Down along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and in the Jordan Valley are the Canaanites, verse 33b, descendants of the ancient race of giants. We felt like grasshoppers before them. They were so tall. Now again, facts are cool, okay to share facts, but what they did was they began to say, we're not good enough, we can't take them. Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies, they stood up and said, you know what, they're big, they're bad, but God's bigger, God's badder, and with God on our side, they're going to be like our food, we can eat them up like a bowl of oatmeal, no problem, because God's on our side. But Israel went with the 10 spies, and, and, and all of Israel said, we're doomed. You should have left us in Egypt. We were better off as slaves. There's no way we can take this land. And then God showed up. You know what God said? He said, you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and I'm going to wait for this generation to die, and I'm taking your kids and your grandkids into the promised land. Now, why did he do that? Well, he, he had to change their thinking, and they, he knew they weren't going to be able to change it. And you know what that's symbolic of today? It's pretty cool. And we can change our thinking. It doesn't take 40 years. We can do it in a week, really, in some areas. Um, it's symbolic of us renewing our minds. And doesn't the Bible say when we renew our minds, when we see life differently, then we don't have barriers in front of us that are holding us back? But their future was frozen because of fear. Can you imagine putting their future on ice for 40 years? And for some of those people, that, that generation, they died before they ever tasted their future. And I don't want that to happen to anybody in this room. So we know fear has some obvious fruit, right? It's, I mean, one of the fruits of fear is I'm afraid, right? So we know that. But do you know there's some other uh, fruits of fear? There's three of them which are subtle sometimes. And I want to help you recognize if you're dealing with fear in your life, and because if you are, it's freezing your future. And I don't want your future frozen. God doesn't want your future frozen. So we're going to look at the story of Gideon. Gideon was an Israelite during a time when Israel was backslidden or they walked away from God, and the Midianite hordes were just dominating Israel. They'd come in and steal their harvest at harvest time, so the Israelites are, are starving. They'd come in and steal their livestock. They'd come in and grab them and take them as slaves. They'd come in and just slap them around to slap them around. This was the Midianite hordes. And Israel was so fearful, they're hiding in caves. They're hiding in, in, in holes. And Gideon, get a hold of this, this wimpy little kid. Do you know what God's future was for him? 
He was to be the leader of Israel, and he was to be the leader of their army, and they were to conquer the Midianites. But he's a wimpy kid. You know where he's at when the angel of the Lord comes? He's in a hole. It was a wine press, but it was a deep hole in the ground. They waited till they hit rock, and they would crush grapes in there. He's in a hole threshing wheat. Wheat has to be done on a plane because the, the wind has to catch it. But he's so afraid, he's hiding from the Midianites, this wimpy, wimpy kid, and the angel of the Lord comes to him. And through the conversation, we see the three fruits of fear. So let's take a look at the first one. The first one is anger. And there's different types of anger, right? If somebody pulls out in front of you while you're driving, that's not fear, right? That's just, I'm mad they pulled out in front of me, right? Uh, some of you may deal with this. I deal with it lately. Um, I can be watching the news, and, and I have this anger come over me. Sometimes it's the commentator. Sometimes it's Washington. But it's like, and I start screaming at the screen, so then I have to shut up. That's not fear. That's just, I'm angry. I'm not happy with what's going on. But there is an anger that we want to talk about, and it's you and I being angry with God because of the situation we're in. And you're going to see that come out of Gideon first. And what's crazy is he's blaming God for what Israel's done. And, and he's, he's fearful of his future. He's fearful of the Midianites, but his anger is coming out towards God, but it's fear-based. Uh, take a look, Judges 6 and verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty soldier, the Lord is with you. The first thing the angel of the Lord said is, this is your future. God's with you. You're a mighty man. Listen to his response. Verse 13. Stranger, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Feel the emotion, right? And where are all the miracles our ancestors have told us about, such as when God brought them out of Egypt? Now the Lord has thrown us away and has let the Midianites completely ruin us. It's that type of anger. That is a fruit of fear, and we've all had to deal with it at different times. Sometimes it's towards people even, and, and, and it's, it's a fruit of fear. Here's the second one, and this is pretty obvious, right? Insecurity. It's one of the fruits of fear. So the angel of the Lord, after all this, he, he, he says something positive again. He says this in verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, I will make you strong. Go and save Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Whoa. His response, verse 15. But Gideon replied, Sir, how can I save Israel? My family is the poorest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least thought of in my entire family. Translated, we are the wimpiest tribe. My family is the wimpiest family, and I'm the wimpiest one in my family, which makes me the wimpiest one in all of Israel. Are you nuts, God? I can't do that. Well, of course you can't. None of us can without God's help, right? But it's insecurity. I thought this was fascinating. 60% of men and women, get a hold of this, 60% of men and women say this, I'm not blank enough. Think about what you fill that blank in with. I'm not blank enough. That is fear, and it's manifesting itself as insecurity. And we're going to have to get that out of our life, and I'm going to show you how, because fear freezes our future. Can we all agree Gideon's future is still frozen, right? Here, here's the next fruit, control. And do we have any control freaks in the house? Um, I've had to overcome this. I think I have pretty good. But if, if you were to ask an employee of our church from 15 years ago if, if, if I, had, I was a bit of a control freak, they would tell you yes, and they would be correct, because I was. Um, and that's all fear-based. And I went through some other valleys 
that knocked a control freak right out of me, right? So if you were to ask current employees, here's what they would tell you. Well, like any leader, he keeps his eye on everything, but he delegates. He gives it to you, and he lets you go because I've learned. I've gotten rid of that fear. I've learned God's the one that has to make anything work, and God has to work with everybody, and we have to trust God to do what only God can do. If you have control freak issues, because they try to creep up on me every now and then, Watch what happened, Judges 6.16. Whereupon the Lord said to him, But I am Jehovah, will, I will be with you, and you shall quickly destroy the Midianite herds, or hordes. Verse 17, Gideon replied, If it is really true that you are going to help me like that, then do some miracle to prove it. Prove that it's really Jehovah who is talking to me. And I love some of the other translations and the story. This is where Gideon throws out the fleece. And so he throws out this fleece, this blanket, and he says to God, he says, if this is truly you, he says, tonight when the dew falls, I want it to hit the grass, but I want my fleece to be dry in the morning. And, and it happened. And then he said, the next day, he said, I want it to only hit my fleece, and I want no dew on the ground the next morning. And, and God did it again. And he had to bring him to a place to where he could let go, quit trying to be a control freak, and trust God to do what only God could do. Here's the good news about Gideon. God brought him to a place to where he eradicated fear in his life. Gideon had an army of 32,000. The Midianites had over 100,000 in their army. And do you know what God did? J just to see what, what his work was in Gideon, he whittled Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300, and Gideon didn't blink. Gideon just said, okay, we, we can do this. Yeah, you're on my side. It's cool. It can happen. And I want to bring us to a place to where it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter where we're at in life. We can go after our future, and we can go after it with, com uh, with confidence. And in order to do it, we have to eradicate fear. We have to, if we see these three fruits, we have to go after them. If we just are afraid, we have to go after it. So I came up, I, I haven't done this in maybe five years. I came up with an acrostic to help us remember how to eradicate fear in our life, and the acrostic is the word spot. So when you spot fear, there's four things you need to do to get rid of it, all right? So that should be easy for us to remember. And the first one is really simple. The first one is we need to stand on truth. Of course, the truth is the Word of God. There's nothing in this life that's secure. There's nothing in this life that's sound except what God said in the Bible. You have to find a promise. You have to stand on it. True story. Years ago. I went to see the chiropractor, and he did some incredible adjustments, and I came out feeling great because my back was really sore. I had an appointment at Leo's, uh, and, and, and I leave the chiropractor. It's wintertime. I'm walking into my appointment. I see snow on, on, on a sidewalk, and it just looks like snow, and I take a step, and it's really ice underneath, and my feet go up, and they're higher than my head. I fall flat on my back. Thankfully, I didn't crack my head open, and everything that chiropractor did was destroyed. I had to go back because of that ice. And you guys, growing up in Northeast Ohio, we understand ice, right? And when you see ice, you're kind of scooting, right? A little bit of ice skating on our, on our feet, right? Why? Because it's not solid ground. Let me tell you something. Everything else in this world is like ice except the Word of God. And you're going to slip into fear over and over again if you don't get a hold of the fact that you need a scripture, you need a promise, and you need to stand on it, 
and it will give you the ability to begin to eradicate fear. Here's, here's the next one. Um, well, let me read a verse to you, Psalm 119, 105. It says, your words are a flashlight to light the path ahead of me and keep me from stumbling. That's a beautiful truth, the word of God. Here's the second one. We need to pray for peace. And I'm not talking about beauty contestants saying, what's the number one thing you want? I want world peace. You know, that's the best girl voice I can do, guys. Sorry. That's cool, but we're not talking about that. Or praying for the peace of Jerusalem. That's really important, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about peace up here. Because that's where, that's where fear will ram us and attack us. And do you know you can pray to produce peace in your brain, in your mind? So here's one of my favorite scriptures, and I, I've taught on it not too long ago. It's Philippians 4, 6, and it goes like this. Do not be anxious or fearful about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, we're not going to read verse 7 yet, but you know what verse 7 begins with? And, which means if you do verse 6, you'll have verse 7. So let's make sure we understand what verse 6 is. We could say prayer, I believe in this context, prayer is just talking about you and I unloading and telling God, this is what's bugging me, this is what I'm dealing with, and we need to do that. Petition is when we become specific and we say to God, here's what I need you to do, here's what I'm asking you to do in this situation. And when you do that, guess what you can do next? You can begin to thank God that he heard your prayer and he answered it. And for some of you, this might not be something you're aware of, but we're talking about the general will of God. You can find out the will of God in general areas by reading the promises. So you know what the promises say. So that's what Jesus meant in Mark eleven twenty four. He said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it, you will have it. So here's what he said. You're praying, but when you pray, believe that you have it. You don't have it yet, but believe that you have it. And he said, if you can believe that you have it, you'll get it. He said, believe you receive it and you'll have it. And that's the general will of God. So we know God promised it. So if you believe he heard you and gave it to you because he promised it to you, what can you do after you pray? Give thanks. You can thank him. And when you pray and give thanks, something incredible happens. Notice the next verse, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not just fear, anything that's going on in your head that's crazy. Notice what happens. God's peace comes up out of here. That, that word transcends means to supersede. So here's what's happening. Your eyes are telling you one thing. Your circumstance is telling you another. Your experiences and your failures in the past are telling you something else. And you pray, you give it to God, which means you believe God's going to come onto the scene. And God says, supernaturally, I will cause peace to come up and it will supersede your fears. It's an amazing thing. And I find myself doing that often, especially a week later when the prayer wasn't answered. I just keep giving thanks again to allow that peace to come back up. But even if we do these first things that we talked about, the first two, stand on truth, pray for peace, we still have an enemy that can put negative thoughts and fearful thoughts in our heads. So number three, the O for spot is we need to object to lies because the enemy brings all kind of lies. And listen to our scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. And this is a verse that's all talking about the war up here. 
Joyce Myers wrote a book, Battlefield of the Mind. If you're here and you'd like to learn more, it's one of the most incredible books ever written on that subject. I encourage you to read that book. But this is dealing with thoughts that come in our mind. And notice what the Bible says. We need to cast them down. We need to take them captive. We need to speak the promise of God to them and say, I'm not receiving you. I don't agree with you. And I command you to go. You may want to do that in private. People might think you're crazy. Otherwise, but you have authority over the thoughts that are in your head. And if you want to eradicate fear, you have to stand on truth. You have to pray for peace. And you have to object to lies. Here's, here's the T. T is the most important, right? You have to trust in God. That means you trust God's with you, God's going before you, God's with you, God has your six. I'm going to tell you a story to help you remember this. Um, <clears throat> in, in my neighborhood, we had a neighbor, I'm going to call him John, and he used to train with this guy, Willie Davenport. Willie Davenport won the gold medal in the Olympics in 1968 for the 110 meters. Well, Willie and my neighbor John, I was a little kid, they used to come practice in our backyards, and they used our two backyards so they had a longer length. And I used to watch Willie jump hurdles, and John would, was in track too. So Willie went on and won the Olympics, and they were Howland High School graduates, by the way. Um, and John went into the Marines. Very admirable thing to do, going to the Marines. But then John became hooked on drugs in the Marines, and he was an aggressive guy. He was big, buff, six foot one, big old boy. Uh, him and a couple buddies decided to rob banks, and they robbed three banks with machine guns. So they got caught on the third one and were thrown into prison. So now John's in prison. I can't remember if it was five years, seven years. Came out. He's going to live with his dad right next door to us. And they chose my dad to be his guardian. And I don't know if the government still does that, but a federal agent came over. And, and I remember John coming over. Now he's really buff because he worked out in prison, right? And, and he's just a big old boy. And I'm like, I'm like when he first came out, a freshman in high school. And, and I'm like blown away by how big. And, and of course, he's an ex-Marine. He's crazy. He robbed banks, the whole thing, you know? I thought, this is my kind of friend. I need to get to know John. So, so and I did. <coughs> so, so, my dad's going to be his guardian. So now John's in the neighborhood. So we're playing basketball. He trained me and taught me how to lift weights. We became very, very close friends. So I want to set John aside for a second, right? So my brother Mike is two years younger than me. And Michael had a problem. If anybody looked at him in any way, the wrong way, he would cuss him out, give him the finger. It, he had a short fuse. And... Um, he got into real trouble. I won't share this story once when he did that to one of Warren's police captain's wives in our neighborhood. And uh, I'll never forget when that man came to our door. Um, but, but that's another story. So I'm in my backyard, the same one where the bulls and bears were, only just two years later, right? And, and uh, Mike comes running out of the woods, and he, I can tell he's scared. He says, Joe, I got six guys chasing me, and Mike was really fast, so he, he beat them there. He said, he said, there's six of them. He goes, they, they want to kick my dupa, you know? And I, I, I said, Mike, what did you do? He goes, they were looking at me the wrong way. I gave him the finger, cussed them out. And Mike was like the most little guy. He grew a little bit after school. He was a skinny, scrawny little kid. And I said, Mike, you and I aren't going to take six guys. And they were out of high school. He said, Joe, you got to help me. You got to help me. And I'm thinking, I don't want to call the police and be a sissy. So I'm wondering, what am I going to do? And then I thought about John. 
I went to get John. I knocked on John's door. I said, John, Mike's got six guys coming to, to fight him. Can you help us out? And he looks at Mike. He said, why are they coming to fight him? I told him what Mike did. He said, we ought to let Mike get his dupa kicked. And I said, we should, but he's my brother. I need your help. So John said, I'll help you. He, he answered the door without a shirt. And I'm to think of Arnold when he was in Mr. Olympia. He comes out of the house, and he's not just a big guy. He's a fighter. He's crazy ex-Marine. And we walk to the woods, and these six guys come out. And when I'm walking to the woods, I'm like, I was afraid till John was there. Then I'm like, I don't care what. They can have machine guns. John's going to take them down. He's Rambo, man. It's going to happen. And I had all this confidence. And these six guys come out of the woods, and they see Mike, and they're seething. They see me, and that doesn't scare them at all. Then, <coughs> then they see John. And their eyes, they literally got this big. It's like, whoo. And then they looked back at Mike, and they looked at John, and they said, we're not, we have nothing against you here. We don't want any problems from you. And, and they said, we just want this guy right here. And John said, well, if you want him, you're going to have to go through me. And they go, we don't want any. He said, listen, you want him, you're going through me. So they look at Mike. They look at John. They keep missing me. And then, <laughs> then <laughs> seriously. So then, <coughs> um, so then they, they look at Mike and they say, we're going to find you alone someday and we're going to destroy you. And then they run back into the woods. There's someone in your life right now that's way bigger and way badder than John. You can't see him, but his name's God. And you know how I walk to that woods with confidence because John was with me? You should be able to walk into any situation with confidence because God says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will always help you. And you and I have to trust in God. We have to stand on truth. We have to pray for peace. We have to object to lies. But ultimately, we have to trust that God is never going to let us down. God's going to go through the woods with us where the bears and the bulls are. God's going to meet the enemy with us. And I want to end with this scripture. It's incredible. It's God speaking to Joshua. Now the whole generation of Israel has died off. Now this new generation is ready to go in. God's allowing Joshua to be their leader. Moses has died. And here's what God says in Joshua 1.9. Yes, be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. For remember the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Not John. Jesus. Wherever you go, he's with you. And fear freezes our future. And if you want to unfreeze your future, you need to spot fear and you need to do these four things, and it's amazing. And this last one, I think, is the most important. You have to know God's with you. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I did my best to bring out this incredible truth. I thank you for this awesome group of people, Lord. And Lord, some here are dealing with fear right now. Others we have. Others we will. We thank you for opening up our eyes to this truth. But Lord, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're in this attitude of prayer, I thank you through this message you've been just ripping off chains of fear in people's lives. And Lord, I thank you that our futures are being loosed in this room right now. And what you've created and called us to do, it's being loosed all over this room. And I thank you, Lord, that I stand before a group of people who are going to go forward and never allow fear to stop them again. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God that deliver us, delivers us from the valley of Eskol. We thank you that that valley has no place in our life. And, Lord, we're tired of wandering in the wilderness, allowing 
fear to keep us on a chain. And Lord, we make a decision today to stand on the truth, to pray for peace, to object to lies, and most importantly, to trust that you're with us. Lord, I thank you for doing what only you can do. You're the one that sets us free. Thank you for doing that all over this room. Guys, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Before I walk away, I want to ask one question. If you're here and you're not sure of your eternity, you're not sure if you were to die, if you'd go to heaven or hell, the Bible declares boldly that Jesus solved that problem. So right now, I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm asking you, can you remember a day when you cried out and asked Jesus to be your Savior? I'm not asking if you were water baptized as a baby or an adult. Great things. I'm asking you, can you remember a day when you made Jesus your personal Savior? Can you remember a day when you said, Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven, and I make a decision today to accept you? If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't, but man, my heart's open. I'm ready today. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else, can we help pray? Say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I need a Savior. And this day, I accept Christ as my Savior. Jesus, I believe you died for the sins of the whole world, mine included, and I make a decision today to receive you as Savior and to follow you. Amen. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer, that's amazing. Miracles happen. You may not have felt anything, but all your sins were washed away. That's amazing. God gave you the gift of eternal life. That's amazing. God's become your father. That's amazing. As a matter of fact, right now, the Bible teaches us that God himself and all of heaven are celebrating up in heaven like we did after some of our songs today. They're celebrating up there if one person's accepted Jesus. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.